you know, it's how big can you get before you have to get out. We're going to go out on the field. We're going to score as many goals as we can. We're going to have fun. Oh, Becchio, well placed. When you first look at Eric Rodriguez, it's hard for your eyes to not be immediately drawn to one thing. I need to know about this mustache. (laughs) (laughs) So, um... To really paint this picture for you, we're talking a top-of-the-line handlebar mustache. It's clearly taken care of, with a bit of the curls at the end, too. And you just can't draw up a mustache much better than this. Traditionally, the mustache is kind of something for firefighters to have. It uh, used to be kind of some breathing techniques that old, older fire, firefighters used to use. Uh, they'd take their mustache and kind of curl it up and push it up in their nose to kind of filter out some of the smoke. Um, now it is just more of a, we don't get to have facial hair. Our masks um, have to have a certain seal. And that comes around the chin line. So beards, goatees, everything like that, we can't have it. Uh, Mustache is typically the only facial hair you'll see firefighters having. Wow. So I learned something new today. So it's not just for looks. There there used to be like some uh, practicality behind facial hair. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, it was was definitely a flawed system, but it was all they had back back in the, you know, early times of firefighting. Eric Rodriguez is, as you heard, a firefighter. And he hasn't had this mustache for too long, relatively speaking. It's a feature of his current life, his current job, his current identity. It was only a couple years ago that he was living in a chapter of his life where things were pretty different than they are now. There was more music, more makeup around, competitions to be won, and yes, more facial hair. So you, uh, the mustache was, you started to grow that after your cheerleading days. Uh, yes, because when I was in cheerleading, I actually had a full goatee. Eric used to be a cheerleader, a collegiate cheerleader at Navarro College, a school you probably maybe have heard of or know about now because of a TV show that became wildly popular over the past month. Our next guests are a part of a docuseries on Netflix that the entire country is talking about. If you haven't watched it, it's called Cheer. The Netflix series Cheer. It's called Cheer. Everyone is binging Cheer. It literally follows the ups and downs of the Navarro College cheerleading team as they defend their national championship title. Eric wasn't on the 2019 Navarro team featured on Netflix's Cheer, but he was on the team from 2012 to 2014. And in the show, he appears various times to talk about his experience at Navarro and how he looks back on his time fondly at the school. We also see this really amazing way he supports the program as an alum. And, okay, I'm not trying to lean into or enforce stereotypes, but when Eric's burly mustache self appears on the screen in the series, you just can't help but wonder, how did this guy land on this sport? How did he find himself cheerleading? When I was a senior in high school, my best friend was dating a cheerleader. 
And at the very end of the year, they decided to do a last minute competition and they wanted to put guys on the team. Well, of course, she suckered him into it. So he came to me and basically kind of pulled the best friend card and was just like, hey, man, don't let me be the only guy out here. Don't let me be the only one making a fool of myself. (laughs) Um, I had just finished up powerlifting season. Everything was kind of winding down towards the end of my senior year. I was like, well, I got time. I got nothing else to do. So I kind of got into it that way. And then our coach at the time brought in some kind of stunt coaches and tumbling coaches and stuff. Well, I actually became really good friends with one of the stunt coaches and he started teaching me a lot of stuff that I never even knew was out there. Took off from there. I just kind of fell in love with it. So I've talked about Eric's physical appearance, the aura he gives off. In short, he's a very masculine looking guy. If you were to envision what a male cheerleader might look like based on stereotypes, he's far from it. And I think you kind of already spoke to this, joking about how your friend was saying, you know, come on, don't let me make a fool of myself on my own. But how was it perceived in your family or your community, your school, when it was like, oh, here's Eric, he's going to do cheerleading? Uh, it was kind of just a big running joke. I mean, you know, everybody was everybody was laughing. I was a three-year varsity office of lineman. Um, I'm a bigger guy. I was doing powerlifting. You know, I did all the big boy stuff. And then now I'm doing this cheerleading thing. Do you feel like you were kind of protected by that almost? As opposed to, I don't know, if someone does fit uh, a stereotypical look, do you think that that is opening up the door more for them to maybe be ridiculed or be perceived in a certain way? Or, yeah, do you have any thoughts on that, on how your kind of more masculine, traditional masculine identity maybe protected you or maybe didn't protect you as you entered this cheerleading space? Uh, Once I got into really in-depth in cheerleading, uh, I did kind of notice, you know, of course there's obviously the stereotypical um, feminine-looking male that's going to be, you know, your male cheerleader that is flamboyant and things like that. Um, but as I actually ventured off into my cheerleading career, I met a lot of guys my size and even bigger that they all just kind of got the same thing. It was, hey, you're a big guy. I got a little girl and I want you to throw her. I want you to, I want you to throw as high as you can and hold her for as long as you can. And so the masculinity in the sport definitely come has to come from you as a male. If you're going to go into that sport, you have to understand that you're going to be perceived as possibly homosexual or um, flamboyant or, you know, what have you, you just kind of have to understand that that's just what you're going to get. That's what you're going to be perceived as. And if it's important to you, if your look or your stature or how you, how you hold yourself is important to you and what people think about you, then it's kind of hard because I know a lot of guys that didn't didn't chase the sport like I did because they were scared of being called gay or mm-hmm. you know getting made fun of or things like that. So I think definitely the way I hold myself and the way that obviously my size and uh, how I am as a person definitely did help protect me from that just because wasn't a whole lot of people really going to mess with me. And if they did, you know, I wasn't going to either back down or they knew that they're we're kind of picking the fight with the wrong person. Mm-hmm. And 
it's such a different sport than the sports that you were talking about growing up and do you feel like it exposed you to different to things that you maybe wouldn't have been exposed to had you not been in cheerleading in any way I think it definitely did it definitely opened my mind not only as a person but as a straight male from Texas you know was always raised with the you know the traditional conservative thinking um it did help a little bit that you know my brother actually came out as homosexual or gay you know whatever i'm not sure what the political correct term is they're calling it now but um you know he he did come out so i did have kind of have that world a little bit um exposed to me i think if i didn't have that that it might have been a little bit different but because i i had that side of it exposed to me already it kind of just it made it a little bit easier for me to go from the typical Southern boy way of thinking to where I could be a little more open to people as who they were and, you know, still have my beliefs and, but still be able to love the people that I know and the things that I learned openly rather than having to kind of completely change my way of thinking. Cheerleading ended up taking him to places beyond what he was familiar with, both literally and figuratively. He couldn't have predicted any of that. None of that was on his mind when he was that second semester senior beginner cheerleader. But whether it was one light bulb moment or a gradual process, somewhere along the way in that beginning phase of cheerleading, Eric realized his talents could be wielded more seriously. They could take him to college. So after high school, I... Like I spoke of that coach that taught me how to, that was teaching me how to stunt and kind of showing me into cheerleading. We found out about a program that was just starting up in uh, Plainview, Texas at Wayland Baptist University. Things didn't quite work out there. The new program didn't last very long. It was seemingly a setback, but it ended up opening a different door for Eric. I took a semester off, spoke with my parents, kind of spoke with some other friends that I had met in my brief time in cheerleading and I found out about Navarro and Trinity Valley. Trinity Valley is Navarro's rival. He was motivated, very motivated. Uh, So I told myself, if I'm going to go and do this, I'm going to be on the best team I can possibly make. He had a friend who once cheered at Navarro and he figured out everything he needed to do before tryouts. I spent countless hours from that that was in December of 2010. So from then, tryouts are in the last, the third or last weekend in April. And I just was in the gym every time that every chance I could possibly get. If I could get a girl to go and let me throw her up, and so I could learn and practice and stuff, I did everything in my power to try to make sure that I had the skills readily available and. Uh, You kind of heard Monica talking about taking people that had potential. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, not everybody that comes there is going to have all the skills. You know, if you can show that you can work hard and that you can, you can learn and things like that in the brief time that you get during your tryout, then she'll gladly take you. She'll take hard work over talent any day. He made the team and he spent three years at Navarro. They won the NCAA title all three of those seasons. And Uh, you heard Andy kind of talk about it in the show of the 2012 team was the first year to win the grand national title. Uh, That was my 
first year that I was there, uh, we ended the year with a 9.933, which was the highest score recorded in NCAA history. The titles, the friends he made, the purpose and structure. It definitely was some of the better times of my life, just making the memories with those people. And then it was over. What was that immediate period, the spring, uh, that spring like for you after cheer was over? What was what was your thought process? After my third year, it was definitely a, uh, it wasn't a troubling time because I knew where I was going. I knew where my life was heading because I've known I wanted to be a firefighter since I was nine or 10 years old. My dad was a firefighter. Uh, I have a lot of family friends that were firefighters that I just grew up in the firehouse and that's kind of always been where I knew I was headed. So I got to spend a little more time just enjoying the time off and getting to experience the last month or so with these people that I've had in my life for so many years and just kind of enjoy the the time that I had in Corsicana because I knew there was no going back. Part of what can make this transition out of cheer particularly jarring and difficult is that this college cheer is really as big as it gets. Much in the way I talked about field hockey last episode, but honestly even more extreme, there aren't really cheerleading opportunities at any higher level. You can't really make a livelihood as a cheerleader. There's no adult rec league cheer. There, there was definitely a couple of times that I remember sitting down and you know telling myself, man, this is really over. This is, this is kind of what, what I've been working for. You know, I knew it was coming, but it was definitely still different to know that once I left Corsicana, like that was it. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't coming back. I wasn't going to another school and starting over. I wasn't, you know, the, that was it. My training was done. Everything that I'd put my name into it. And uh, in the show, Billy Smith right. kind of said it best. You know, it's how big can you get before you have to get out? How, how big can you get your name and what kind of legacy can you leave behind? But then, yeah, it just comes to a stop. And, you know, for some people, it's hard to accept. Luckily, like I said, you know, with, with me knowing my career path, it was kind of easier for me to accept because I was only in it for just such a short period of time and not exactly move on, but understand that it was it was an amazing time while I had it. Um, so there was a little interruption in terms of, oh no. I don't think this is my truck. Okay. Don't worry, there were no emergencies in Willis, Texas on this Sunday. I don't know, maybe it's also kind of poetic. Anytime you venture down memory lane, there's got to be a moment that gets you back to reality. I guess the point that I was just making was to get to be the best to get to be your name be that big, you really need to throw all of yourself in and make cheerleading your number one priority, which is great for what Billy Smith is saying. And like, I understand you want to leave on the highest possible note, but I imagine that makes it so that the crash, so to say, of retirement is even more painful. It can. Um, I, I do have friends that did have you know, a little harder time bringing it to an end because like I said, you know, I was only in it for four years. Mm-hmm. There's, I know people that cheerleading has been their life. It's their whole identity. So there are definitely people out there that, that don't 
come to terms with the fact that it's over. The cheerleaders at Navarro have something I would consider a privilege. They have a special leader at the helm of the program who is really trying to expand their skill set and sense of self beyond cheer. If Monica wasn't the coach that she was that cares about you, who you are, and how you grow as a person, I could see how a program could 100% become, look, you're a cheerleader, I need you to be a cheerleader. I don't need you to worry about anything else, I need you to be a cheerleader. Um, Luckily, Monica doesn't run it that way. She cares about you as a person and who you are and how you grow. She wants you to learn life lessons as well as cheerleading. This is something that I really think is worth shifting our gaze to. What role do coaches, these one-foot-in, one-foot-out leaders of a student-athlete group, what role do they have in this transition process specifically? Maybe even further, to get a little philosophical, what responsibility do they have in preparing kids and young adults for life beyond sport? When it comes to this greater issue of developing and treating athletes as whole people, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who does it better than Navarro's Monica Aldama. If I have anything that I need to talk to her about or if I ever need advice, um, I actually I put her down for references when I'm looking for a new job and things like that. Uh, she, she doesn't just stop when you leave the program. Her presence absolutely does not just disappear when someone leaves the program. So much so that this is what happened when I first reached out to Eric. And I thought it was kind of funny that, like, of course, when I was talking to you and asking about this interview, I loved that one of the first things you said was, I need to ask Monica. It speaks volumes about what she has created and what she means to her athletes. Anything that ever has to do anything with Navarro Cheer. You gotta go through her. I, I, it's not even so much that I have to. It's out of respect. It's Mm -hmm. like, that is her program. That is her baby. She's been with that program for going on 20, 25 years. And it's just, you don't want to do anything that could possibly embarrass or maybe give a negative view to the program that she's built because it doesn't just reflect on me. It would reflect on the program. It would reflect on her. It would reflect on the college. And at the end of the day, that's her baby. And you want nothing to do with anything negative that has to come across with that. When I think about Monica and the way she is spoken about by Eric and by various people on the show, the word matriarch pops into my head. She's not just a coach or a mentor. A matriarch is a woman that is a head of a family or a tribe. She herself stands as an example. She has set a standard for how Navarro athletes of past and present treat each other. You know, I said in the, I said in the show it becomes a family. And it, it really is. Um, I can call anybody that's ever cheered at Navarro College. If I'm somewhere in the world and I need something, I've got somebody somewhere that I can get a hold of and, and get some help. Or, and vice versa, if anybody's ever around me and they have my number, if they can get a hold of me or whatever, you know, it's a family thing. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I can to help them, and she's the exact same way. So it's around six years out from Eric's time at Navarro. From cheerleading to firefighting. They seem like these vastly different domains, and they are in some key aspects, but firefighting and cheerleading no doubt have more similarities than you'd realize. Which is why when I asked how cheerleading prepared Eric for firefighting, he said this. I think it actually set me up 
perfectly. So you hear, you know, everybody talk about there is no I in team. There is no, you know, doing things ourselves and stuff like that. But then you watch, you know, pro basketball teams or pro football teams that are relying on one or two people to go out there and have these amazing games and these amazing careers. And either once they leave or, you know, something happened and they get hurt or something like that, you kind of see a little drop off. Um, cheerleading and everybody saw it, especially when they, you know, really hounded on the pyramids. Um, you know, unfortunately, like Sherbs got hurt. If you don't do your job in cheerleading, something is going to go wrong. Mm. Something will happen. Somebody will get hurt or, you know, that's obviously the, the, the worst of it is somebody getting hurt, but the least of it is, you know, you look bad on the floor and you, you might miss something, you know, you might, might not make it to your spot in time to complete a skill, to hit the score sheet. Um, that definitely translated in my life coming into a firefighter because firefighting is all about teamwork. We're all about a, kind of a note. Like you said, that structure that I had there kind of came here. Um, traditionally, I mean, firefighters were, were a family. I spend a third of my life, at the fire department, if not more, depending on overtime and stuff. Um, so learning that teamwork of, of doing your job, being self-accountable to do what you need to do translated perfectly into my career because, you know, here my stakes are a little bit higher. If I do something wrong or I mess up or I miss something, unfortunately in this career, it could lead to people dying and not just, not just citizens, but you know, my brothers and sisters in the fire service, somebody that I'm on the truck with, somebody that I know their wife and kids and their families, you know, now that falls on me because I made a mistake. So it that, while obviously two different dangers definitely correlated perfectly into my career. Um, as far as like physical fitness goes and everything, cheerleading did nothing but help me because in a two minute and 15 second routine, you are basically in an all out sprint. Your heart is racing a mile a minute. And yet you still have to remember counts. You have to remember certain positions on the floor you have to be at. You have to remember, you know, what you're doing, how you do it, how you've done it so many times to where you don't get on that band shell and get in front of thousands of people and do something different. Um, so that's running around, sprinting, throwing girls up, catching them, safely doing these things definitely helped me train for firefighting because when I'm when you're on a house fire, you're kind of essentially doing the same thing. For the first for the first ten minutes, you're running around, you know, you're stretching your hose lines, you're throwing your ladders, you're getting on top of the house, you're going inside this outstanding heat, your your heart rate's going, you know, a mile a minute. And you still have to remember your basics. You have to remember things about thermal layering and, um, you know, things that things that you have to watch out for and you have to be cognizant of. You can't just get so tunnel vision that if you're kind of freaking out inside, you know, your, your heart rate's going up, your body's not physically fit the way it should be, you're going to kind of get sidetracked and you're going to, you know, that could potentially lead to somebody getting hurt. Um, for me, it definitely helped me because now, before I went into cheerleading, you know, my I was a bigger guy. I was bigger than you know what I am now. Uh, 
all the training and stuff for cheerleading definitely put me up, set me up cardiovascularly and muscle muscle wise to come into this career and start out in a good in a good position rather than just coming in thinking that I know what I'm doing and not. And with both firefighters and cheerleaders, the only way to know how to do what you need to do on quote competition day during an emergency situation is to do everything exactly like you would do in that moment. No halvesies, no working your way up, no shortcuts. Training in cheerleading, the only way to train for a full-out routine is doing full-out routines. Mm -hmm. So kind of the same thing correlates into firefighting. Um, A lot of our trainings and stuff we do in gear. A lot of our, you know, some of our workouts we do in gear. Mm -hmm. That's that's not just for the, you know, all the, the more sweat, It's also for the comfortability in the gear. Um, Monica talked about doing things right and, you know, doing things over and over until you get it right and then doing it until you can't get it wrong. That's kind of the same thing. Same way we do things here is, you know, do things in your gear to where your gear is more of just like a second layer of skin for you. When we see Eric come on in the show, it's in the context of this narrative that's interestingly kind of twofold. The first part of that is... The graduating and moving on from Navarro. The discomfort that can come with that. A career here is really this special experience. You are a part of this tight-knit team. You have these goals to work towards. You have this incredible mentor. All the things that many athletes can relate to, I think. Leaving that is difficult. And there's a nostalgic tone in this section when Eric first appears. He says that his time at Navarro were, as you heard, some of his better days. But then there's this other related storyline with a very different tone. You will always be a part of this bigger Navarro family. Doesn't matter if you're on campus or not. On the show, we see alumni come in pretty significant numbers to watch the current team. The support is really touching. And Eric embodies this. He talks about how he tries to come on campus whenever he can to watch the team. We later see him at Daytona at Nationals. I won't spoil the series, but if you look closely, you can see that he is the one carrying one of the cheerleaders in a specific moment. So, you miss your cheerleading experience, but that's not to say you wish you could go back. You're trying to tap into that feeling of being on the team as a visible, present alum, but you also recognize you want to maintain your distance as you have moved on into this other chapter of your life. It's a couple different kind of tangly emotions existing at once. And then you throw in the mix this camera crew, directors, producers, poking and prodding at the meaning of this experience at this tiny juco in Corsicana, Texas. Not many people can say that their alma mater sports team was the subject of a Netflix follow series a couple years after they left. Maybe for good or for bad, in what ways do you think the show has affected your processing of your time as a Navarro cheerleader? I think it's amazing. Um, You know, I don't have any form of resentment that I wasn't there on the team when the Netflix came. And um, I, I think of it kind of just as an atonement to everything that Monica has done, Mm -hmm. everything that that program has become, you know, we were lucky enough to be the showcase, you know, how, 
whatever powers may be, if you believe in faith or you, you know, you believe in fate or destiny or religion, what, you know, whatever, whatever higher power you believe or anything like that, whatever caused this to happen, I think was just meant to be for Navarro cheer. Mm. You know, are there other programs that are just as well deserving? Absolutely. I think the perception of Navarro that the world got to see is the perception that the world was ready to see. Somebody found out about it and decided that this is what they wanted to show. This is what they wanted the world to see. And if we don't do all of these years of accomplishments that we've set up for, it doesn't happen. I don't take it personally that I wasn't on the team that got, you know, chosen to be on Netflix. I don't, I don't have hold any form of resentment for it. I'm proud. Mm-hmm. I'm proud. I'm so proud of the kids on that team and the level that they were able to show that, the, that our program is much more than cheerleading and that, is much more than just sidelines, raw, raw, rees. Competition is while we were there. The success of the show is nothing more than the success of Monica and Navarro Cheer as a program, and I couldn't be more proud of it as an alumni, the way these kids held themselves and are still holding themselves. You know, yes, last year's team had to deal with the camera crew running around and, you know, had to find time to do this and record that. And, you know, you saw Gabby, Gabby's life was hectic, insane. But I've also begged the question, you know, was it harder for them or is it harder for the team now? Because now they're having international distractions coming in and, you know, they're, they're flying across the country back and forth. I just can't speak of how proud I am of how kid, how the kids are holding themselves on camera, but also holding themselves to the, to true to the program as they are, you know, they're still working hard. Every chance, every chance that I've gone by, they are practicing, they are working. Somebody is working somewhere. They're finding every minute and every chance that they can get to not only repeat the success of the program, but keep the, the culture of our program whole. It's a culture made up of individuals spanning over two decades who have, with the help of one amazing woman, persevered many of them overcoming some of the worst humanity has to offer in terms of tough childhoods and adversity. The student-athletes in this program are in an intense pursuit of excellence. Time and again, they have achieved it. Just ask Monica Aldama how many rings she has. And beyond the glory and the hardware, their time on this team has transformed them as people, emboldening them showing them what they're capable of outside of cheerleading. It's no wonder that Netflix's cheer has been so popular. The core elements of the Navarro story are those that reach across several audiences. Almost everybody in my department has watched the show just because I was, you know, (laughs) just because I was in it. Just because, you know, they knew I was going to be in a Netflix show and... They, they were probably watching it to make fun of me, honestly, because we, we, do, we do have that, you know, that kind of relationship here at work. Like I said, you know, we live together for 24 hours. We've got to find a way to break the, you know, we, we crack jokes at each other all the time. You know, of course, obviously the cheering thing comes up a lot for me. So they were probably looking to find, you know, some, some kind of dirt to make fun of me about or whatever. But then they actually ended up watching the show and they actually ended up liking it. 
you can't judge a Netflix show by its title slash cover. In the same way, you can't judge a man by his mustache and burly firefighter outer shell. You'd really be missing out if you did. Thank you to Eric Rodriguez for coming onto the podcast, and thank you for listening. Hope to see you next time.